Welcome to the Fab Four Free For All. And welcome to another exciting edition. And yes, I, I say exciting all the time because that's what we are, at the, uh, and especially tonight. But I am your moderator for tonight's episode of the Fab Four Free For All, Mitch Axelrod. And joining me as they always do are... Rob Leonard. And... Tony Chiguardo. And um, tonight, we have a special guest. Did you know that, guys? Yeah, I did. Oh, you did? Because we were just talking to him in preview. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't realize you were listening. It's actually yes. a very good guest. It's very, yes, very, it is a very, very good, good guest. guest. Tonight we have someone who has recorded with a lot of people, and we'll get into the eclectic list of stars yeah, that cool. uh, this person has worked with. And the latest project that this person has worked on is the brand new Ringo Star. I'm not going to say CD because it's going to be on vinyl as well. The Ringo Star release, Give More Love, which we all have given favorable reviews to uh, so far. He is the engineer and the mixer and the recorder, not the actual recorder, like a instrument, but, uh, and an editor. Uh, He is Bruce Sugar. Welcome to Fab Four Free For All, Bruce. Thanks, guys. We are very excited to have you on tonight. Thank you. So you played piano from what we've read, and then February 9th, 1964 hits, and... As we we like to say, all hell broke loose. Why don't you explain, you know, what you did that night? Oh well, that's going that's going way back. <laughs> it's gonna be this is your life. No, it's uh, <laughs> you know, like most musicians of my I'm I'm 61, so most musicians of my generation were tremendously influenced by by that date or you know that week when the Beatles debuted in America, and uh, I think it just showed the possibilities of that is a career and the excitement of, of, uh, of the music business. And I mean, it was, you know, an amazing time socially as well as musically. And I'm sure all you guys maybe have experienced some of that as well. Absolutely. But you stopped playing the piano for a while, didn't you? You know, I grew up a kid taking piano lessons. And then I, after I saw the Beatles, I definitely, you know, wanted to be more of a, into the rock band. Obviously, they didn't have a piano, so... I took up the drums and uh, played in uh, bands through junior high school and high school. I mean, drums, and then you end up working with the, yeah. the ultimate drummer. Right, that person that, you were watching yeah, on TV. Yeah, that, that's a very surreal part of my whole career, you know, because, I mean, obviously they were the, one of my main influences musically. And, and being a drummer, I definitely, you know, had an affinity for Ringo and... Uh, what was that when I was 13 or 14 and what 40 years later maybe 30 35 years later I uh, find myself working beside him you know so yeah dreams can come true and it's it's pretty remarkable yeah it's amazing you know I said you were the engineer what's the role of an engineer opposed to a producer a mixer or or any other job on the album you're you're the engineer here yeah well that's that's a long discussion but Nowadays, the lines are crossed a lot on what roles are, you know, especially since it's just me and Ringo working on this project. So he's uh, credited as the producer, and I would think that some of the things I contribute could be contributed to a producer, but, you know, we keep our roles semi uh, separate, you know, in that regard. But uh, when I first started working, someone would record an album and they'd mix it and They'd work with a producer on it, and uh, nowadays, 
a lot of things are separated. You know, they have different job descriptions. Some people are just tracking engineers, and some people just mix. I like to start a uh, project from the beginning again, get through it, and do the recording and mixing, and uh, you know, and, and get to play on it too if I if I'm lucky enough. <laughs> Which you were. Been, I played. Uh, I think I played on three or four Ringo albums now. No. Great. Bruce, you know, you were saying that uh, it's you and Ringo working on the project alone, but I was jokingly referring to this album as the way they called the album, one of his albums, Rotograviewer. They could have called this album Ringo's Rolodex. I mean, what is it like to be working in a situation where basically a single phone call can probably get you some of the finest people in the industry to come on down and play? That's one of the real greatest things about being involved with Ringo is, you know, we work with a basic track and then hold, well, before we even have a basic track, he'll be working with his different uh, collaborators for songwriting. And then, you know, we'll put down a basic track normally. It's either a guitar or a piano and then Ringo put his drums on. And then we sit down and talk and say, well, what do we need? You know, and, and it's just so great because it's like, well, who do you want to get? You know, we were talking about on this album, who do you want to get for, for vocals on a couple songs? So, I said, well, you know, Timothy Schmidt's in town and, you know, Richard Page is part of the All-Star. So we had Timothy, Richard Page, and Amy Keys, who's an amazing singer out here. Yeah, so yeah. the next day, three of the, you know, one of the dream sections for background vocals, <laughs> uh, they're ready to record, you know. So, it's, so. It, it sounds as though it ends up being really pretty much organic in a way. I mean, it's not on Ringo's part or on your part. It doesn't sound like it's something that's really calculated. It's just sort of hey, this would sound great here. Why don't we see if they're available and make a call? And yeah, On one song we had uh, on Give More Love, Matt Bissonette came by to play bass. And uh, his brother Greg, who's in the all-star band, you know, came with him just to say hi, you know, and hang out. <laughs> and then found this little thing called a hang drum, which is like a little steel drum type of thing. And yeah, Ringo, go ahead and play that and get on the album, you know. <laughs> so whoever's <laughs> Whoever's around ends up playing something, you know, or a membrane or whatever, you know. That's great. And it's, yeah, it is. It's very organic. It's very friendly atmosphere, very relaxed. And there's never any pressure. And, you know, obviously whoever comes in to play, they have Ringo Starr sitting there egging you on and dancing to your stuff. It's, it's just, <laughs> so everyone has a great time. It's a celebration of life and music. And, you know, it's just the purity of it. And then it's the way it should be. But it's not a lot of times now. Yeah, because business part of it, but luckily, you know, Ringo's kind of immune to the um, business stuff now. He just, you know, he sells enough records where it's viable for a major label to back him, and it's great. They never tell him he just delivers an album. They, they have zero input into it. You know, it's, it's great dream gig. Bruce, can you describe what the studio is like? It's it, you know, it's called Rockabella West, which is Ringo's company. It's in his house, right? Uh, is that where the studio is? The studio's in his property. He has a guest house, which we've converted into the studio. So it's basically where the main living room was, is where the studio is. And there's a little back bedroom in the guest house, and that's where we set up his drums. Not really a proper studio, but, you know, in this day and age of digital recording and all that, a majority of records are done like that now at home studios. And, uh, you know, it's a lot more comfortable for him, you know, for Ringo, he gets to hang out at home. The other question is, I mean, there's a lot of people on this record. Is each one done one piece at a time, or do you guys get like five people in the studio and you jam to it and then you... you we don't. You know. It is semi-piecemeal. 
I mean, there's sometimes there's Ringo play with a guitar player. Or Keith sometimes if I'm, I'll play piano with him to put down a basic track. So it's usually not it's not a full section. So that's the kind of thing you miss. But just something about his drumming just brings it all together, you know. So it doesn't seem like it's piecemeal. He has such a great feel, and everyone kind of gets right into his groove. So it doesn't. I mean, that at can seem calculated at, at times you know if you don't uh have the right chemistry but his for for, for him and it works for some well I, I have to say the mix is incredible if it's, yeah. it's recorded in the in this piecemeal like way because it there is a live vibe to a lot of the songs oh yeah um which yeah. doesn't yeah, doesn't sound like a pre-recorded thing yeah, i was uh, mentioning to him the other day that uh, they should have a new Grammy category for best home studio recording. (laughs) (laughs) How did you get to be, you said you were in the right place at the right time for working with Ringo. How did that come about? Oh, that, you know, I mean, that's just a story that's as old as the music industry. You know, you'd be in the right place at the right time. I had a friend who was uh, friends with uh, Mark Hudson, who you all know. Sure. He was doing Ringo Rama way back when. I think that was... I think it was what 13 14 years ago already yeah right he was doing ringo rama and his engineer at the time had a family thing or something i don't know what exactly what it was but he was in need of an engineer and a friend of mine that was friendly with, with mark hudson uh called me and said yeah call him hudson he needs an engineer so i called him and the rest is history you know it's Really cool history, though. But you, yeah. you've worked on a lot of projects with the Ringo. I think like ten with the live stuff and everything. Oh yeah. I do have a question though. You worked in uh, on Why Not, and we interviewed Ringo in 2010 for the album, and we talked to him and said, "Listen, we think you should do another country album." And he said, "I've always thought about that, but I just never have gotten around to it." And now we find out that this album started out as the next Ringo Starr country album? Well, not exactly. I think the way it went is that he was talking with Dave Stewart, who uh, Dave does a, work, a lot of work in Nashville now. Right. And uh, and they work together well. In fact, Dave co-wrote Wrong for so long. Yeah, great, great song. So they were they were definitely talking about doing a country album, and they planned, you know, Dave's uh, is super busy and, and Ringo's always busy, you know. But anyway, they they blocked out a little time to do it, and uh, and then Ringo, I guess, was offered to tour uh, one of the All Star tours. I forget which one. It was probably the last one, and uh, he basically had a bail on going to Nashville and doing a full country record. So anyway, they were going to do this country record. So they just, you know, they got together and they said, "Well, we better start writing some songs." So they did write "So Wrong for So Long." And, and then they had to put the rest of it on hold. You know, maybe someday that'll happen or maybe not. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, it did start out as possibly a country record. But Because there's uh, other songs like Standing Still, uh, which sound very country-ish, that, you know, they have that, like, pedal steel guitar sure, the on it. Don't Pass Me By remake. Well, the sure. Don't Pass Me By remake, yeah. yeah. But, right. Well, but, the, uh, the uh, Standing Still was written with Gary Burr, who's another Nashvilleian. Sure. Well, that was way later in the... In the process, so that just—I mean—all those songs happen organically, you know. So it's not like Ringo says, "Well, let's let's do it." It's got to be a rock and roll song, or he's like open to all kinds of stuff, which is another great thing, you know, because it's it's pretty diverse. That record, from a Lukather ballad to 
country song with a dobro. So we were talking about why not, and Ringo worked with obviously Paul on a Walk with You, which was a great collaboration. Yeah, no, I love that one. Yeah, me too. So we me all too. do. So talk about how Paul is now on two of the songs on this new album. Yeah, he. Uh, I think it was in February or March, and he was going to be in town. And, you know, I guess him and Ringo are, you know, still talk when, when each of them are in the same city. I guess they'll get a hold of each other. And he just, he, he just flat out asked him if he would play on the record. And he said, yeah, you know. But uh, that was just a real fortunate thing that the time, place lined up so it would happen. And he did it on a Sunday. He, you know, he was in town working on his own album. He came over on a Sunday afternoon on his day off to help Ringo, you know, which just shows you what kind of person he is. You know, it's pretty amazing. Now, when it comes to the, you know, the album itself, Bruce, and the mix, there are two things that caught me right away. I mean, I was, again, when you listen the first few times through, you sort of come up with some generalizations. And I was jokingly thinking of you and Ringo working on this as the anti-Arif Martin. Now, I, I don't know if you remember, you, I'm sure you, the Roto Gravure record and the Ringo the Fourth yeah. record. And, and the thing that's so just great about this new project is that, first of all, you, you get a phenomenal, just a big, great drum sound for Ringo. Yeah, you know, and he's playing and he's really getting into it on, on the record, which is very cool. Yeah. And the second thing that, that I love is that we always. You know, we, we criticize that Arif Martin stuff pretty heavily because this stuff is blathered in backing vocals. The nice thing about this record is, how hard is it? Because you do a brilliant job striking a great mix between the backing vocal work and Ringo's vocals. It enhances instead of overpowers, and it's just, right. you know, so our, our, is, is a lot of the vocal work being done live with Ringo, or again, just overdubbed later, or... We always do the vocals. Probably one of the last things we do are vocals. Not not necessarily the final thing, but most of the time we wait till we have a nice track. And uh, usually, whoever co-writes with Ringo will, will sing a scratch vocal, mm. and then hold with the song so you get to learn a little bit. And you know, the vocals aren't too much of a problem now. You know, I mean, I pretty much coach him on that stuff, and and he. Uh, he does like four vocals and then I'll go home and comp them and, and do all that, you know, the technical stuff. And, sure. And then if we have to come back to fix a few lines, we do that. But it's, it's pretty painless, you know. I, I think the new ways of working digitally now definitely help him because I don't think he loves doing vocals that much. And in the past, <laughs> I think, especially with the Beatles, they have two of the greatest singers in the world and another great singer. And all of a sudden you got to go out there. And sing, you know, I think it was probably a little intimidating for him back then. But uh, he has so much personality in his voice. Yes. That yeah. when he's relaxed at home, I just think that in the last few records we've done in his house, his vocals, like you said, I think uh, they, his personality just comes out so great on those, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And you hear you've got some like really nice backing vocal work being done. But it's, it doesn't overpower Ringo at all. It's just sort of, you know, adds to just the whole overall environment of the song, and it's just great. Yeah, well, it's just trying to find the right part and getting the right singers, and if the part's right, you usually don't have a problem with powering right. them. You said you were obviously influenced by the Beatles. So when you're sitting there and watching Paul McCartney on his Hofner bass play bass for Ringo Starr in the same room in a little 
you know, guest house. Uh, what, what is your feeling, as, you know, as a Beatle fan? Well, you know, that's funny because when I'm in the moment, I'm working, you know. Sure. I'm just my thing. You know, I'm just making sure the session progresses and everyone's happy. And so I'm kind of in that headspace. But then when it's over with, then that's <laughs> then, then I reflect, what the hell just happened here? You know, like, <laughs> when the door shuts and Paul leaves it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's like a dream. I mean, even, you know, Steve Lukather, who's one of my favorite guitar players. Sure. Luckily for him, the two songs that Paul played aren't the ones he co-wrote with Ringo. Yeah. And and he came over one day. I said, you know, I got some bad news for you, man. The, we had it because he played bass on those originally. Just to, <laughs> he plays everything. I said, well, we had to replace you. The bad news, we had to replace you. And the good news, Paul played bass on that. You know? <laughs> so and he heard, and he was he was majorly influenced by the Beatles, like anyone our age. We got so emotional when he heard, you know, his song with his guitar playing with Ringo and Paul. Sure. Yeah. He came to me and he said, he goes, you know, this is one of the, this is not one of, he said, this is the top musical experience in my life. And that <laughs> got right. done every, I mean, he's the most recorded guitar player in the world. Pretty amazing. You know? Bruce, I got a question concerning We're on the Road Again, which Paul plays uh-huh. bass. Was the bass solo at the end part of Steve's thing, or did Paul add that? Because one thing about Paul as a bass player you know, he's sort of like Ringo in a way. Ringo doesn't like solos. Paul doesn't really do bass solos either. And at the end, you hear this bass solo out of nowhere. And I'm like, whoa. You know what? That's one of my favorite parts on the whole album, that little, like, four-bar little section where it's just drums and bass you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, great. That's like, it just happened. That just happened. And, wow. Uh, in fact, that little piece was supposed to be a little drum solo. And that was supposed to be by itself. But, we, you know, we playing the track down. He, Paul just organically played that I think the first or second time oh so know, nice it was so nice to and, hear and, and we gotta keep it you know it's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> of course you might have heard about it I just have a funny story Paul the day he went to uh, play uh, on this current album he doesn't have a chauffeur or anything he drives himself so anyway he's there's uh, these tour buses come around all the time uh, in Ringo's neighborhood and like anyway, TMZ and stuff these tour buses they come by and they're you know so anyway this tour bus came by and uh pulled up and then this uh blue corvette pulls up and then the guy in the thing says oh yeah or, you, here's ringo right now and then and, and, and paul got out to push the bus around. <laughs> <laughs> I freaked out, you know these people on the tour. Paul McCartney pulling up to Ringo's house. I found that pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, and everybody took a picture and then sold it to the National Enquirer. And... <laughs> yeah, they probably did. I don't know. I, didn't, I don't know. I have another question, oh, Bruce. Do. The project's being done. Is there video being shot during this just for historic purposes? Sadly, no. Oh, okay. Because uh, usually Ringo puts like a little extra stuff on the DVD when it comes out. And he also does stuff for his website, too. So he's, he's been very right. good with you his know, website. I mean, once in a while, someone would... I mean, back in a few records ago, we used to have video going all the time, those people in the room. It's just to document things, I could see having a video camera is great, but not having a video there makes it a lot more relaxed and people are more themselves, especially when, if it's Paul in there or Peter Frampton or someone, you know, some big wig hanging out, they just feel more relaxed when the cameras aren't rolling and they can be themselves more. So, no, we didn't, we hardly had any video running on this one. It's, it's sad because there's 
some great stuff that they missed, but on the other hand, some stuff may not have even happened if there was cameras going. So that's true. Sure. Good point. Good, sure. Very good point. What was the decision to have Peter Frampton on the uh, the, the talk box guitar, Bruce? Ringo said you got to play. Talk. I mean, he loves that stuff, you know. And <laughs> uh, I don't think Frampton probably hadn't played that thing in years. You know, you never hear him play it. And uh, yeah, he asked him to play it on uh, Speed of Sound. Speed of Sound is a great song. Yeah, it is. Wow. I love Laughable, too. You know, Laughable, he wrote yeah. with, uh, for some reason, that, that's not resonating with people, but I mean, that's kind of about our current situation, political situation. Oh, now. yeah. Been, well, I was, I was going to ask you, I was listening to it last night, and I'm thinking of the speech that Trump just gave where he basically said Nazis are good. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and right. I, I'm listening to this song, and it's like, holy crap, did you guys just write this like four minutes ago? So what, what's the background? I mean, when did that song get finished? Because it, yeah. it's, it's so perfectly timed for what's going on today. I know. I mean, they, someone should do like a cool animated video on that because it would be great. In fact, I heard someone say the other night this would be laughable if it wasn't so tragic, you know. Right. But, uh, yeah, no, they wrote it. I think it was done in, uh, it was after Trump was in office, you know, and things took a turn for the worse already. Okay, you know? Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> it keeps getting better, doesn't it? Yeah, really. Yeah, but they didn't want to mention him. Uh, they were smart because they never mentioned him by name. Right. Although I heard Paul's got a song about him on his new album. Well, that that was in the Inquirer. No. <laughs> With the picture yeah. of him going to Ringo's house. <laughs> right. I yeah, right. There you go. Not using uh, a name keeps it so generic. that it can stay an evergreen, basically. Sadly. Right. Exactly. For the next but mistake I, we make. I hope that song gets some legs because I, I dig it. Well, I mean, if you really go through the album, number one, two, three, four, five, I mean, there's not really a bad song on the album. Yeah. I know, yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's well, Postcards play. was like that, too. I mean, we thought Postcards yeah. was really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Postcards had that ballad, which was a piano ballad for him. And, and speaking of that, he's got to have a ballad for Barbara on every one. Yep. Uh, but that shows true love. And, and this one is Show Me the Way with that yep. he wrote with Steve uh, Lukather and Paul's on bass. But he does some pretty nice drumming, and he also does some really nice singing. He does, you know, that's one of the, uh, I think that's one of his best vocals he's done, you know, because he really felt it. In fact, we spent a lot more time on that than we have on a lot of stuff because, uh, you know, we really needed to get it right. And, you know, he's he normally doesn't have to work that hard, you know, because his personality comes out. But on a ballad, there's just more nuances that you have to get, you know, and and he, uh, he worked hard on it and it, it shows, you know, it's a real emotional ballad. Sure it is. They've been together a long time, and he's written some really great stuff, you know, about her, about Barbara. Yeah. We should, I, I don't like saying her. I mean his wife, Barbara. Right. But sure. uh, we also, we were just kidding before we called you that Shake It Up, is that the new Ringo Matchbox song? Or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. <laughs> it's very catchy and bouncy, but it, you know, it does sound a little yeah. like Matchbox. But, but it is really. Oh, I know. Shh. <laughs> we won't tell anybody that. If, if you go through the canon of rockabilly music, it, yeah, everything you, sounds, everything like sounds a little bit like Matchbox. Yeah, right, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's a template, basically. But first, you know, talk about influences and things like that. You know, we always look at Paul as being the uh, the reggae guy, and here's Ringo and. Uh, when Ringo's at home sitting around listening to music, is he pulling out like Bob Marley records? Because he's got he the... loves loves reggae. That right. tune started with Van Dyke Parks. I mean, it was kind of a reggae tune, but then Van Dyke kind of, you know, his harmonies on his 
chords are pretty intense. You know, he's he's a he's a genius. That guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, I ended up playing on that, and I ended up having to uh, simplify some of his lyrics. So I'm mean, not lyrics, his chords. So it made more sense in reggae. You know, doesn't really have a lot of real sophisticated chords necessarily. Sure. <laughs> so we simplified it a bit, and and then Nathan Neese played bass on it, who's absolutely brilliant. And, he's you know, great. <laughs> yeah. And he uh, he brought it home really, and yeah, that was a fun tune. That's a cool. That's another cool song. Another one about Barbara, if you didn't know. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. yeah, okay, of course. And you know, Nathan has that Beatle connection too, because he played on a, a couple of George albums. Yeah, apparently he was friends with George. They hung out a lot, according to him. You know, and I never knew that, but yeah, he he's played on some George Harrison stuff. He's a great guy and an unbelievable bass player too. So well, let's get back to the bonus tracks. You've got four on here, and three of them, well, actually four of them are remakes. Let's get into Back of Boogaloo first, because let's tell right. everybody this. Back of Boogaloo, You Can't Fight Lightning, Photograph, yeah. and Don't Pass Me By. Now, most people are going to say, oh, why is he doing that again? He did it before. Right. But, and I said that, too. I did, too. <laughs> everybody, before we got to before listen. We got to the record, before we heard it. But yeah. all of a sudden, right. we hear it, and... We were amazed. First of all, we'll talk about Vanderveer and, and uh, Alberta Cross in a, in a few minutes. But sure. back off Boogaloo, we know the story, but we'd like you to tell it uh, about the tape that they found and then Jeff Lynn and et cetera. Right. Sure. No, it's, uh, that was uh, an interesting project doing that song and a, and a testament to uh, modern technology because, uh, it's, like I said, it started with Ringo finding that quarter-inch tape of him singing Back Off Boogaloo. Uh, it was just like a minute long. It wasn't even the full song, and some of the lyrics weren't right, but it was just a great groove, you know. And and Ringo initially gave it to Jeff Lynn and said, Jeff, can you do anything with this piece? You know, can you incorporate this into a remake of Back Off? And Jeff sent us a track, but he didn't, he didn't incorporate that piece at all. It was just like a new track for Back Off. Anyway, so Ringo was like, oh, no, you know, and Jeff was going on tour, so I was like, man, what are we going to do? And I said, you know, just give me a day, you know, so I went home with it and, you know, manipulated the tempos a bit and did this and that and, you know, what you can do these days. And sure. I basically married it to Jeff's track. And then me and Ringo sat down and figured out a structure that he wanted to do. And then I put everything where it should be. And, and it was just Jeff basically playing acoustic guitar and bass and and he had some drum samples you know and then Ringo said let, well, let me play drums on it okay so he put his drums on it which that always adds the once he does that the magic's there you know and it's sure. it's easier to manipulate so anyway we have this track with uh, partially Jeff Lynn's track and pieces of this old recording and then Ringo goes it'd be great to get some of the vocals off my original single that we did with George and so they went looking for the original master, and they couldn't find it, which is kind of disturbing. Yikes. Sure. I don't know where. Who knows? You know, they looked in England and here, and they don't even know where the original master is. But anyway, we took the two-track. I, I didn't do it. Someone did it at Universal. They took the original two-track, and with software, they extracted the vocal, his vocal off the... You know, I guess they do that for karaoke and stuff. I don't know. Probably. But they sent me this piece that they extracted. And it was like, man, this is this sounds horrible. It's it's unusable, you know. That's what they told me. I just send it over, you know. And I was able to use it as like a background vocal because he Ringer re-sang the whole song as well 
for this right after uh, we did Jeff Lynn's track. So there was Ringo today. It was Ringo back in when he wrote it, and then when he recorded it with uh, with George. So That's it's perfect. all three voices kind of in different places, and it's a cool remake. And then, of course, you got Joe to play slide guitar on it, which is mm. So it's like a, a free as a bird, but all Ringo. Right. <laughs> yeah. It free is. as a Ringo. He's <laughs> male, and it's a bunch of Ringo. And uh, uh, the cool part of it, because it starts out with, you know, you heard it, it starts out with his piece from, you know. The demo. Like, 70, whatever it was, 76. Or when, no, was 70, 70, 71. Now, yeah. 71, that's right, 71. Now, Bruce, we're all Beatle fans, and we always overanalyze everything, like on Strawberry <laughs> Fields Forever. Where is the edit? So we know, like with Strawberry Fields Forever, we know it's at the one-minute point. Where is the edit on this song? It's all edits, Rob. It's all edits. It's beautifully put together, man. Okay, just just check it because you know some people are gonna start talking about it, and we gotta know. No, it'll it all cuts together beautifully. <laughs> so you it's have... pretty amazing how seamless you can make it, though. Yeah. I mean, they were all different tempos. One of them's a different key. It's like it was like you know, but of course nowadays, yeah, Strawberry Fields probably took them a month and a half to put together. It took me, you know. Four hours. <laughs> <laughs> right now, George Martin somewhere is going, you're kidding, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's really cool because, you know what, if you listen to it and you're just listening to it, you don't really hear, unless you know, it doesn't sound like there's three different Ringos. Not you obviously right. hear the background, but the only time I knew it was old Ringo was at the end when he's saying, right on, right on, whatever he says. Right. Like that. That's, that's the only that's, way. But other than that, you really can't tell. He's He yeah. sounds pretty much the same. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was the piece in the middle that we recut in, that right on piece. That's from the original. And then the first piece in the beginning, like the first uh, verse, is, is from the uh, original. Too cool. It, it is wild. What was the kind of moment of, hey, I'd like to try this for Ringo to to want to do "Don't Pass Me By," as kind of more of a ballad because it's a, it's really a it's a beautiful version of "Don't Pass Me By." It's I great. Like that, that's that's my favorite uh, remake of those three. You know what? That just came from last year at his birthday celebration that he has at Capitol Records every year. Yeah, there's usually bands playing. And he had two different bands playing, Vanderveer and... Uh, Alberta Cross. Or Alberta Cross, yeah. I even, and they were playing these different arrangements of all the songs, and, and Mario just had the idea. It'd be cool to get these guys to send us a track. And we basically, you know, figured out the key, and I called those guys up and told them, yeah, do a track and and send it off. So they, they basically put the whole track together, and then Ringo sang on it. We did a little editing, and, you know tighten a few things up but basically that's their track and he sang it and it is it's just a different take on i love the pass me by because it's definitely a different take on that song just very sparse and you know yeah. the white album for for all the individuality on the white album it was a big song with the violins yep. and the fiddles and, yeah. yeah and now yeah. it's just so sparse and beautiful it's just you can yeah. hear ringo yeah you know what i would love you know he doesn't really play that song live It'd be this version, which fits so good into a, the All-Star Band. Yeah. That something something different. Uh, Bruce, when did the album recording start, and when did it end? And did, did you only do 10 songs, or were there Is there more stuff in the can, That you didn't yeah. put out, you decided not to put out? Uh, he usually puts out pretty much everything. There might have been a few things that we started. Sometimes we look at some grooves, but they really never, never go anywhere. So, yeah, as far as, like, 
songs, you know, full finished songs are written. There's only that 10 plus the four uh, remakes. Yeah, so there's there's really not many. Uh, in fact, there's nothing in the can on this one. Sometimes there are, but uh, I think he likes to use everything. And as far as, you know what? I am not sure when we started that record because it was not long after uh, Postcards that we got together and just started talking about it. And then, you know, he was on tour a few times. And so it took a while. I think of February of last year, February, March, and April, we did most of the work on it. And then we finished it, uh, when we finished it? June or July? That's pretty fast. Pretty fast for the album. Well, I mean, it was... Before that, there might have been a year before that we actually started, sit, sat down and like said he wanted to do an album and, you know, he had some ideas. And But, I mean, most of it was done February, March and April of this year. You know, you had uh, the Internet a little duped because uh, it shows the power of a Beatle still. I think it was you and, and Ringo sitting there with a, a fake CD cover, a picture and... The internet was a buzz saying that's the new cover of the the new Ringo album. Oh yeah, I don't know who how that got out there. I didn't, was, did he tweet that? Or I don't know. He tweeted it out, and it, I think it was the picture of the two of you, right? But everybody went nuts saying, you know, oh, my goodness, look, Ringo just gave us the new Ringo cover. And everybody was, oh, this stinks. It's great. It's, you know, typical Beatle fans um, had us duped, too. I had to actually write to his PR person and say, is that the new cover? And she said, no. Okay. <laughs> so, but it was actually pretty funny the way that the Internet still 50 years later. Well, I mean, 50 years later, there was no Internet back then. But it's amazing how, you know. I, I hate to say it, but this 77-year-old guy, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, approaching 80, and he looks better than me, and I'm 55. <laughs> he uh, does look better than you, Mitch. Yeah, thank yeah. you. But he's sitting there with this cover, and people went nuts over it. It's amazing. Well, you know what? Uh, I'll tell you what people went nuts over is when, when Paul was there, and we took a few photos there, and, and Ringo tweeted one out. Yep. And I tweeted one out with him, and, and I, I was not prepared for I mean, I know he would get... I got calls from all over the world, <laughs> literally, to do interviews in India and Colombia, South America. <laughs> I mean, people went crazy, man. And, and you know, it's it is the social media and the internet now. It's just, the world's a small place, you know. And people care about the Beatles, you know, which is amazing. Sure, you know? still, that's that's yeah. fantastic. It really, is an amazing legacy these guys have, you know. That 50 years later, a bass player shows up to play on his friend's record. Ah, all over the world. Yep. Major news. Like, the guy called me from Liverpool, a friend of mine. He goes, yeah, you're on the front page of the Liverpool uh, <laughs> newspaper. <laughs> was, wow. We're talking about the legacy, and, and you know, Mitch is, was saying about Ringo's age, but I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to throw it out to you, Bruce. Do you ever get a feeling or a sign from Ringo in any way that says, uh, you know, maybe just uh, I don't want to know if I want to do this anymore. I don't know. Uh, Not at all. Never. I never heard. He goes, man. I I love playing drums. I'm blessed. He's in a great space in his life. Yeah. I mean, both those guys are a real sentiment to aging gracefully in this business, which is a tough business. To you know, it's a youth oriented business, and they're just a real testament to number one, taking care of themselves. And number two, that they love what they do. You know, they never, you know, you guys know, they just wanted to be the best band in Liverpool. Sure. Yep. They were going to do it for a few years, you know. So they're still thankful they get to do it now, you know, like most musicians should. I don't know if 
mean, everyone does, but, you know, Ringo's like, man, his hero was like B.B. King and uh, these guys that played until they were 90, you know. Oh, so he goes, as long as I can keep playing, I'm going to keep doing it. You know? Well, thank God. <laughs> Bruce, one of the things that we like to talk about is the, the pacing of the album, the opening track, the closing track. I happen to love the, the pacing of this album. It opens with the, a really hard rocker, and right. it ends with a great love ballad, Give More Love. Was that purposely done, or was it thrown in the air, or what, what's the process of the, the pacing of the album, yeah. the, the sequencing? You know, uh, basically me and Ringo do it. We sit down, we made up a sequence. I actually made up a sequence, and then he, he said, oh, yeah, that works pretty good. You know, when, we're, when it was all done, I just put a sequence together for him to listen to the record, you know. And, we talked about it a little bit, and then, you know, we did a couple tweaks on it. I think sequencing is important. It's probably not as important as it used to be because people kind of go around from track to track now, and and especially the digital stuff, they just, yeah. you know, it's scrambled anyway. Half the time, it's not playing in the same sequence. But, yeah, no, we did put thought to it. We definitely thought about the sequence. Well, you know, it's funny because we, we always talk about it. We had just reviewed Sgt. Pepper, and... There's no more getting up and turning over an album, you know, right. like and to hear within you, without you, mm-hmm. as the opening track on the side two. The youth today don't even know what side two means, right? No. Uh, which well, is kind of sad. Uh, that, it's changing a bit, man. A it's, little bit. I don't know, I and mean, I've run into a lot of people. I mean, my friend that mastered this album, uh, Chris Bellman, over at uh, Bernie Grubman Mastering. All he does is cut vinyl now. It's amazing right. coming back twenty four seven, man. It's 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 amazing. What will be the opening song of Side 2, then, on this album? Because it is being released on vinyl. The vinyl is going to be only 10 songs. Okay. And the first five will be on Side 1, and the second five will be on Side 2. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, <laughs> King of the Kingdom would be on, and, and the bonus yeah. tracks aren't on the, uh, the LP. Well, no, not, no bonus tracks. Oh, wow. I just wanted one more, one more thing about the bonus tracks while you just said it. Photograph, because yeah. You Can't Fight Lightning was never really a, a, a track of his. It was, but uh, it's pretty much like Robert said, like a jam track. It's a jam track. Right. But yeah. Photograph, I mean, that's one of Ringo's signature songs. Iconic. Yeah. Iconic, right. And you can't get much better, but... Again, Vanderveer is on this one and mm-hmm. just did it so sparsely, but yeah. really nice. And I sat there thinking to myself, Ringo sounds like he did in 1973. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe uh, I would, maybe it was the hallucinogenics I was taking, but, um, yeah, right. <laughs> but it sounds really nice. You know? And I want, you know, the thing is we need people to listen to these because, you know, right away when they see those extra tracks and they're the same songs, they do get that negative connotation. So I do want people to listen to them. They should. Yeah. It's a nice addition, let's put it that way. And they're true bonus yeah. tracks. It's what the term originally meant and what it turns into is something else. But right. this is actually bonus tracks. I, I, I like yeah. this a lot, actually. So yeah. I, I have to ask you, when is Ozzy's Rasputin opera coming out? <laughs> oh, wow. You know, it was just funny you mentioned that. I was just talking to someone today about that. Uh, I don't know. where. I mean, have you... Uh, Heard anything about it? <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, it's. I'll tell you what. I mean, it was one of the greatest things I ever done, man. It's. It's a remarkable project, and uh, put in the right hands of someone like Tim Burton. I mean, it needs to have that type of tree. It needs to be a movie. It needs to be a, a Broadway play and a, and a film and a soundtrack, and it, it could be amazing. You know, sure. It's an amazing subject matter. 
and the songs are just out of this world, man. It's just you know, really great. That's so cool. Now that Black Sabbath has hung it up, Ozzy will Ozzy becomes the next Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that, was, that stuff was done probably ten years ago already, and you know, he was taking a break from his band, and uh, I think what happened was that he he was really obsessed with it. But he wasn't making any money from it, so I think Sharon put him out on the road again. You know? I don't know. <laughs> but you know, you've worked with so many different people. I mean, we just mentioned Ozzy, but Dave Coz, who I love, Barry Manilow, Robert Downey Jr., and Sarah Silverman as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what what a list. Yeah, I know. Well, Robert Downey is an interesting thing because I worked with him on that record. That was right after he was. Uh, from being incarcerated and he was starting to get back into the flow of things and he really wanted to do an album you know he's a really talented guy yeah and he did that record and then uh you know he started getting into the film thing a little more and, and now you know the rest is history he's the biggest star in the world you know it's like yeah. well beautiful version of smile by chaplin on yes. there oh yeah no i mean it's you know his own like kind of raspy but really made it his own i thought I got another funny story about that record, if you got a minute. Sure, we uh, got, yeah. got a little time you want. Well, that was done. Mark Hudson was uh, co-producing that, I guess, with uh, someone else. So I was there. I just recorded some of it. I recorded some, a lot of his vocals and stuff. Anyway, so the studio Mark used to have, was it wasn't a proper studio. It was like a, a one-room studio, you know. So the singer's in the same room as you, and you're wearing headphones. Anyway, we're right in the middle of a vocal, and the door opens up, and this woman comes in, and it was, and I, don't ask me why or how she was there, but it was Tammy Faye Baker. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh. Yeah, right. Wow. Walks in the studio, and Rob, like, right in the middle of his song, you know, she just, hey, how, how, how you know, how, how y'all doing and all this and stuff. And Robert's like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> you know? And he was just oblivious to the, the recording and all this. And she was a sweet, sweet woman and stuff. But you know, Robert was like, what the hell is going on? Did her eyelashes come into the room 10 yeah, minutes yeah. before she did? <laughs> anyway, I mean, that was kind of the zoo that was uh, Mark Hudson's world. But uh, uh, it was pretty funny. It was a pretty funny moment. And Robert, you know, we all had a laugh about it. But, uh, <laughs> When it first happened, it was like, what the hell? if you're getting into singing, all of a sudden, you know, he was just really into it at that point, and she just kind of broke the groove. <laughs> <laughs> Tammy Faye, of all things to see walk in the yeah. studio. Of all people, yeah. Well, you, well, you said things, he said people, yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> Shows the animal that you are, Tony. Thank you, dear. <laughs> Thank you, Mitch. So, I don't want to keep you too much longer. We just want to ask you, I mean, is there anything you want to say to the fans out there about this album, about Ringo in general, about yourself? I know you want to say go buy the album, because we're going to say <laughs> We're going to say that, too, so. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think it's, with any Beatles fan, it's, a, it's another contribution to, of... The two of them together, which is really important, I think, to have them collaborating, you know, because that's where the magic happened 50 years ago, and it's still there, you know. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was a fun album to make. I think it's my favorite album I've made with Ringo. Been, I think I've done five or six studio albums. And uh, I think people will enjoy it, and that's pretty much, pretty much all I have to say about it at this point. Cool. Very nice. Well, we we really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, okay. I will uh, end this 
great show with Bruce Sugar by saying I uh, have been your moderator, Mitch Axelrod, and you have been listening to the Fab Four Free For All with my co-hosts. Rob Leonard. And Tony Chiguarda. And we really thank Bruce Sugar for hopping on. And uh, Bruce, thanks again for the album and all the music you've made. And uh, we uh, hope that this sells like crazy because we will be pushing it. Well, thank you guys very much. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Thanks a lot. Fab Four Free For All was edited and produced by Tony Chiguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury, New York. The opening and closing theme is My Dolly by the band The Badge, featuring longtime listener Jeff Slate, available on its debut album Digital Retro and recent Best Of compilation, as well as from the Fab Four Free For All website. Thanks for listening to Fab Four Free For All.